Welcome to another episode of Talking Movies with Matt. On today's episode, we are going to talk about Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. And the reason I say Brendan Fraser's The Mummy is because I don't want people to think I am talking about Tom Cruise's cinematic disaster called The Mummy. Because that was a uh, a much uh, unneeded remake. Just, uh, yeah... This is th- this is what I've talked about on other shows when we were talking on Jumanji, and how uh, frightened I was that they were making another one, and this was before Dwayne Johnson came out and said it's going to be a sequel and it's going to pay homage to the original movie. This is why I don't like remakes. This came out in 1999, so it's approaching its 20th anniversary, which is insane, because I saw this uh, movie in theaters on opening weekend, and I specifically remember seeing it on uh, a buddy of mine growing up, his name's Todd. Uh, we saw it on his birthday, because his birthday's May 7th, and this movie came out on May 7th in 1999. So I remember seeing it, and the two of us were just just floored. We were thrilled with the way that this movie came out, because this was the 90s version, late 90s, early 2000s version of Indiana Jones. And uh, obviously I have an affinity for the action-adventure films between Indiana Jones, this... And uh, even the the game series, the Uncharted series, like I was talking about, it's just it's one of these movies where I watched it this morning, just because I hadn't seen it in a little while, even though I've seen it so many times. And 19 years later, it still looked fabulous. The actors were wonderful. Uh, the way it was shot was awesome. The CGI, even though the CGI at the time was state of the art, it's obviously 20 years old now. So I mean, when you see the face in the sand and you see the storm, the dust storm. Oh my gosh, the sandstorm where it eats the plane and you get the face in the sand. I mean, that's 20-year-old technology and it's still, you know, I mean, yeah, it looks doesn't look as good as some stuff does now, but it looks better than a lot of current stuff. So, I mean, like for instance, we just had, uh, well, Comic-Con's going on right now and they're releasing a bunch of information and trailers on some new movies and TV series is coming out, specifically DC. And DC, we just got the um, Aquaman trailer just dropped. And yikes, no thank you. Yeah, I mean, could they have at least used the mummy technology from 20 years ago? Probably would look better than it does now. Now, I know trailers aren't the finished product, but still, gross. And then um, you have Shazam coming out, which actually doesn't look bad. Uh, I like the lighter tone, the more comedic tone they're going with that movie because on prior podcasts, one thing I've always said is that Marvel isn't afraid to be funny, where DC seems to have like the heebie-jeebies about somebody laughing in the theater. Every single movie they make is so serious and so like just, ah, man, have a little fun with them, guys. So, you know, and then on the complete opposite end, you get Titans, which looks absolutely brutal in the best way possible. I loved Teen Titans, the animated series. So I'm familiar with these characters a little more than a lot of the DC comic book characters, but I like how that they're older, and obviously it's called Titans, not Teen Titans. This looks like it's going to be, like I said, brutal. While they have a couple of good things coming out between Shazam and Titans, I think the Aquaman trailer and movie itself kind of weighs them down. So, hey, two out of three for DC, that's not bad. And uh, if you know me well enough, you know that there is some underlying, um, I just don't like DC. I just, I, I love the comics, I love the stories, the characters, but man, 
the uh, the cinematic features since The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises, that whole Christopher Nolan Batman series, ever since then, it's just been blech. It's just awful. I mean, Wonder Woman was okay, but, you know, it was definitely the better of the recent movies. Batman versus Superman was terrible. And uh, Justice League, don't even get me started. I can't even talk about it. So, yeah, we're not here to uh, bash on DC or even talk about DC. We're here to talk about The Mummy, which is the good one that came out in 1999. Whenever possible, I like to talk about how a movie may have inspired me as a writer. And Indiana Jones, obviously the Uncharted series starring Nathan Drake and The Mummy. And what's really cool about this movie is there's a specific line in this movie that is uh, it means more to me than it would most people. And he talks about his whole damn garrison believing in it so much that then when they marched out uh, into the burning desert or something like that, it's all they found was sand and blood. Well, my first novel was called Blood and Sand, and it was very much twisted from the sand and blood line from The Mummy. I just absolutely loved that line, and it was like the perfect like description of what I wanted. I wanted there to be like the sand portion of the book. So I wanted it to be in the desert. I wanted it to be revolving around a lot of the Egyptian mythology or in Blood and Sand's case, the uh, Atlantean mythology built within the old, the ancient cultures of the world, uh, mostly in uh, Egypt. And in this case, the book took place in Algeria, but it was just the way it inspired ancient Egypt. But it's also the um, the witty humor and some of the corny jokes and just the sly dialogue. That's the one thing that The Mummy has, as I've watched it again, is that the dialogue was so well done. Like, there are a lot of funny parts in the movie, but it's kind of funny in the way Indiana Jones was funny in that it was mostly just, like, generic dialogue that wasn't, it wasn't jokes. It was just the way they said things, trying to be a little humorous within, like, a more serious situation. And it came off like, amazingly well in this movie. And I guess that's where Brendan Fraser comes into play playing Rick O'Connell. He plays the uh, roguish hero in this movie, the very much Indiana Jones, Nathan Drake hero. And I can just, I just see him as this character. And it was just this wonderful, wonderful character. And he did such a good job. And like I've said before with Harrison Ford as Indy and then Sam Neill as Alan Grant, there's just certain characters that I just can't see anyone else playing. I guess the only other person that could have pulled it off was maybe like Nathan Fillion. He's just a wonderful actor from Firefly and then the Serenity movie and, you know, Castle TV series. And we just got a fan uh, film of uh, Nathan Drake and Uncharted starring Nathan Fillion, which as soon as that movie came out, or that, uh, sorry, as soon as that video game series came out with Drake's Fortune, the first video game, I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen uh, people pining for Nathan Fillion to play Nathan Drake. And it's just his voice, the uh, his the way he speaks, his humor, his look, everything is absolutely perfect to be Drake. Now, I know that they're going to be doing the uh, Tom Holland starring Uncharted, or at least that was the plan. They wanted a younger Nathan Drake. So... I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out, but it's just there's certain characters where in your mind's eye you see, man, I can't make, or I can't see, I can't make, I can't write another movie or without this character and this actor being pieced together, spliced together as one person. And like any great action-adventure novel, this action-adventure movie has a wonderful prologue. So the movie starts in ancient Egypt, in Thebes, and you can see the pyramids in the background. You see the um, Sphinx, which I 
don't really see as Thebes. That's more Giza. So I know it's a movie, but um, there's just like an inconsistency there. But I, I don't, I mean, I don't really care. I mean, they start talking about Thebes, but um, then they show the Pharaoh, but it's the movie opens in Giza because that's the Great Pyramids of Giza where, uh, you know, the three wonderful pyramids are. So it's kind of like you're sitting here going uh, Kuafu, Kafre, and um, Menkare. And I did a lot of research on the pyramids of Giza and the kings and, quote, pharaohs that associated with the three pyramids. And that was the one cool thing that I found out is that the they weren't called pharaohs in this time frame when the pyramids were built. They were just kings. Uh, the pharaohs didn't come until later. So... Yay for history, but we know Egyptian kings as pharaohs just because that's kind of like a more generalized term. So in this case, they're kings. And this is when we meet Emotep, who eventually becomes the mummy because he uh, curses the land. And it's just this awful, awful burial ritual called the Hung Dai. And the reason it had never been used before was because if he would ever rise, he would lay waste to the land of Egypt. And, of course, that's exactly what happens. And he brings the ancient plagues. It's just, oh, all hell breaks loose within the movie. And you get this really awesome-looking creature. And you're talking a mummy like, you know, a traditional mummy. But it's, like, all dry and crispy. But then it's kind of gooey at the same time. He's missing his eyes and his organs. And he hunts down the people that stole them and takes theirs instead. It's pretty wicked. Uh, in a good way, though. In an entertaining way. And what's even neat is you get Oded Fair, who a lot of people know from the Resident Evil series. Well, he plays a major character in this movie, too. And you just get this awesome narration from him. And he's just basically describing what's going on and giving you the overview of everything within the prologue of the movie. And it just adds to the allure of this movie. And so does a simple thing as the font of the on-film subtitles because they're speaking in their ancient language, and you're sitting here going, even the font looks cool on a screen. So, I mean, it's something stupid like that, but it just works out so well in a movie like this. It's just, I guess it's like more one of those underlying amazing things that these action-adventure genre movies can kind of pump into there and really do something cool with. I just really enjoyed it. And like I said, it was just the font on the screen. I don't know why it was so appealing to me, but it was. In the transition from ancient times to present day, well, present day you're still talking 100 years ago at this point, it's really cool how you see the statue of Anubis and you watch it like weather in real time, but like obviously sped up. And you see like the ear fall off and it weathers, 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 and the storm rolls through. And then all of a sudden you're in the present day of the movie, which there's this massive battle for the city of Hamanoptera. And it's just this awesome, just, I mean, it, I mean, what a way to open a movie is you get hundreds of horsemen coming in and you get uh, Rick O'Connell and the, I'm they're I think they're called legionnaires, but it's just the army and they're just like fighting all these horsemen off uh, guns blazing uh, Rick and his little buddy, Benny, who is played by the awesome Kevin J. O'Connor. He's kind of a, a, a comedic uh, sidekick during parts of this movie, as is John Hanna, who is just amazing. He plays Jonathan, and uh, a lot of you will know him from the Spartacus series, and he was also on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's the guy that designed the framework. So you just get this really amazing uh, performance from John Hanna, who's just done really well in everything that I've seen him in. 
But the movie really revolves around Brendan Fraser, Rachel Wise, and Arnold Vosloo. And the three of them are the real stars of this movie. And obviously, Brendan Fraser playing Rick O'Connell, he was also amazing in Journey to the Center of the Earth, which I found to be a very, very uh, awesome movie. I just really like those rompy adventure movies. You just don't see them very often. And I know it did, like, okay in theaters. It wasn't this, like, wonderful thing. And now, for whatever reason, Brendan Fraser is just a forgotten man. I know he has a new TV series coming out. But uh, he just he just all of a sudden dropped off the face of the earth, and it was kind of sad. But uh, Rachel Wise was awesome as Evie. She was also amazing in Constantine. She's just one of those actresses that seems to pop up in these really awesome movies and these really cool movies. But uh, Arnold Vosloo was amazing as Emotep, such a great villain, especially in like that. Just because uh, he doesn't speak English at all, so you're sitting here. His just presence on screen was just so evil and so dark and so big. And it was just this great, great uh, performance. What I liked, too, was the character introductions. They were cool because you really got to see, like, who these people are. And, you know, at the beginning of the movie, you see Rick O'Connell, and he's the hero, and he's the military guy. But then you see him in the prison later, and he's all disheveled and beaten and broken. And the first time we get to see Rachel Wise's Evie is uh, she's in the library at the museum that she helps at. And she's cataloging books and she's putting books away. And as she leans over to the other shelf, the ladder comes free. And now she's like 20 feet off the ground walking around on the ladder like she's some stunt double or some some stunt actor. And you see her walking around, walking around, walking around. And then she teeters over, hits the bookshelf. And then comedically, all of the bookshelves, they're placed in a circle, which is just perfect because, I mean, why not? And they all go boom, 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 and start flopping over on top of each other. And then at the end of the scene, she's like, "Uh oh, and then the museum's curator comes out and says, compared to you, the other plagues were a joy. So it's just this wonderful line. And that's what, like I said, that was so cool about this movie is the dialogue and the humor was so natural. It wasn't forced. Steven Summers did a great job with the direct directing of this movie. It was just, uh, just an overall wonderful film. And let's give Steven Summers some props as well for writing the movie because uh, when you can write and direct a movie, it really shows how uh, talented of a person you are. And, of course, I love the making of these movies and what brings the movie together. And it's just the little things that bring these movies, uh, like I said, to life. I guess the, uh, the, 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 the worst of them all was actually uh, when Brendan Fraser's character, Rick O'Connell, when he's hung by his neck, in real life, Brendan Fraser actually lost consciousness and stopped breathing and had to be resuscitated. He was literally dying. And um, I remember that coming out like a few months after the movie uh, was released, but I completely forgot about it until now. So, I mean, he he basically died while watching this or while making this movie. That's just absolutely incredible. And uh, on the lighter side of things, uh, Kevin J. O'Connor, who plays Benny, his little buddy Benny, during the making of this movie, there's uh, there was like some humor with behind the scenes, but uh, it shows in one of the scenes where he's loading treasure onto one of the camel's backs, and as he's yanking on the camel's reins, it doesn't want to move. It just like digs into the sand and stops. I guess through the making of this movie, every single camel that was used had something wrong with Kevin J. O'Connor. They just didn't like him. They said they almost hated him. Every single camel, I guess he was the only actor that they all had a problem with. It's very strange that the entire group of animals would have something like against one single guy. 
Uh, another thing that was cool is the library scene where all the books collapse. They did that in one take, and they were thrilled. Summers was so thrilled that they got it done in one take because they said it would take up to a day, up to 24 hours to reset and redo it. And, of course, these movies, you know, all movies in general, you have a lot to get done in a short period of time. So any way you can stay under budget is always a good way. Another thing that was cool is at the very beginning of the movie, uh, the prologue we were talking about, and you get a first glimpse at Anaksuna Moon, who plays a much bigger role in the second movie. Uh, that character is played by the beautiful Patricia Velasquez, and her entire costume minus her jewelry and tiny loincloth was actually body paint. And uh, when this movie was released onto television, they actually had to digitally paint in like some clothes. Like uh, I think they said like a little bikini on top of her body. And uh, I just thought that was really interesting that they had to do that. And it kind of shows like uh, just some of the things that uh, movies can change going from TV or from film to TV. Another thing they had to change was to keep its PG-13 rating. Uh, Rachel Wise was wearing a white dress once uh, she gets thrown into the water and then the barge sinks or the riverboat sinks. I guess uh, the water made the white dress uh, see-through. And to keep the movie PG-13, they had to digitally paint the dress white to cover up uh, her bits and pieces, I guess we can call it. But uh, th again, just uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff that make these movies so amazing is just really neat to kind of go through. Um, two more things I want to go over. To keep this movie phonetically correct, they actually brought in an Egyptologist uh, to work on the dialogue and to work on the sounds of the language to make sure it was as accurate as possible. Of course, it's not going to be fully accurate, but it's close. And again, it's just being able to appreciate stuff like that when it goes into the making of the movies. And uh, the other thing was Jonathan Hyde, who uh, this generation of moviegoers like myself, we also remember him from Jumanji. He played Mr. Parrish, Alan Parrish's father, but he also doubles as Van Pelt, uh, the hunter from Jumanji who hunts Alan Parrish's character throughout the movie. In this movie, his name is Dr. Alan Chamberlain. And uh, the one scene that gave me the weebies was when he's sitting there and he's covered in locusts. They said they had to film that scene several times because Jonathan Hyde couldn't keep a straight face. He would be either be disgusted or he'd be laughing so hard. And uh, they had to do it several times and he kept having to be covered in bugs. It's kind of like Indiana Jones where they did the, the tarantulas at the beginning of the movie. Uh, the actor was just scared out of his mind uh alfred molina and they had to do the scene several times and they had to keep covering him with spiders i just thought that was hilarious in a uh well i guess in really not that funny of a way but yeah you know to each his own and everyone's humor is a little different but these adventure movies they, they try to kind of gross you out a little bit with also trying to have a little fun with it like indy you have the the tarantulas then you have the bugs you also have the rats and it's like one creature after the other after the other and i know in these movies it's the same kind of way especially with the plagues they have the rats they have the scarab beetles they have the locusts and it's just like oh they try to almost make it almost like a horror movie without it being super scary it's more uh it's more like weeby and jumpy than it is frightening. So I just, I love it when they can make it work while still trying to have fun with some humor and uh, action as well. All right, before I get out of here, I just wanted to say thank you for those who have rated and reviewed the show on SoundCloud and iTunes. And uh, to peel back the curtain a little bit, usually I can get these uh, episodes done, like recorded and over with in about a half an hour. 
And uh, with that's with 20 to 25 minutes of content. So I get them done pretty quick when I'm uh, when I'm uh, get going and moving. This episode has taken me five hours because my uh, internet kept going out. And I, I keep pages open to do research on the fly. And I don't want to do shows without really being able to like dive in to the research because I don't want to feel like I'm rambling more than I actually am, which I know I do. And every time I would go to open my browser, it would tell me that my Wi-Fi was down. So it was one of those really, 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 really annoying things about doing a show like this is I know I can do this show and just save it onto my laptop without needing the internet. But I also like to keep it uh, backed up through the various, you know, Dropboxes and OneDrives and stuff. So it was just really, really annoying to get this show done, but I'm glad I was able to because I really do love this movie and uh, everything that's come uh, come from it. Like I said, especially being able to name my first novel after a line in this uh, switching sand and blood to blood and sand. So I just thought that was kind of neat to be able to share that with you guys. Uh, my next episode will be coming at the beginning of next week. And like we usually talk about or I talk about, I don't know what I'm going to be talking about next week. It's kind of one of those things where I'll look at my movie library at home and go, huh, I I think I have something to say about that or I really want to talk about this movie. So I have about two or three movies that I have in mind. I'm starting to research them. If I don't get uh, one movie done, like I know I want to talk about Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, uh, newer movies, sci-fi, little different action-adventure genre or movie, but uh, within the same genre, I guess, just more sci-fi. I know I want to talk about that. doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be my next movie. I do have a few that I'm looking at, so we'll see. We'll see what I can get of, get out at the beginning of next week. It's uh, all up to my work schedule and um, how many I can get recorded in a single week. I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to do two episodes this week, so hopefully I can do that every week, do at least two episodes. Some I may only be able to do one. Others, who know, maybe I can do three. I have no idea, but uh, thanks for listening and have a good one.